my senior year of high school, all of us were waiting for uh, our acceptance letters from college. Uh, some folks' letters took longer to come in because they were applying to different colleges and they were trying to wait to see if the one that they were hoping to get in, they would uh, receive that acceptance letter. So one of my friends, he was really wanting to go to UNC Chapel Hill. So he waited and he waited and finally he got his acceptance letter uh, in uh, our, our spring semester. Um, and you see, not only was he hoping and waiting to get into Chapel Hill, uh, what he was hoping and really waiting for was to give up on physics. Because he, he had this understanding in his mind is that once you're accepted and you get in, it, it really doesn't matter what kind of effort and diligence you put forth in your classes anymore. Because you're secure. You're in. You're accepted. I am going to Chapel Hill, and nothing's going to change that. And so not only with his actions as he came into our physics class uh, after he got that acceptance letter, would he sleep through every single class? Would he do no homework? Would he study for no exam and take no exam? He verbally dared the teacher to fail him. And the teacher did. He still got into Chapel Hill, which is a, uh, another story for another time. Um, but he was somehow under this, uh, this, uh, this assumption that once you are accepted, it doesn't matter how you live. You don't need to put in forth any effort. There needs to be no diligence that you apply to the, the studies and the things that you're doing. Now, just from hearing that, you may think, man, that sounds so foolish. Why would anybody take those kinds of chances? But you know what? Very often, many of us approach the Christian life in the same way. Once we are, are saved from our perspective, we've been accepted and brought into God's kingdom, we can come under and presume upon God's grace in such a way that we think it no longer matters how I live my life. I don't need to put forth any more effort to live out a life of holiness and godliness. I don't need to be diligent to live a life that is glorifying to God because I'm in. I'm saved. Jesus died for me. And nothing's going to change that. We're in a, a, going through a letter in the New Testament uh, written by Peter, one of Jesus' authorized spokespersons. And he's writing to a group of churches who they are being uh, uh, attacked and infiltrated by that kind of teaching. The teaching that says it doesn't matter how you live out the Christian life. You do not need to put forth any effort. You do not need to put forth any diligence to live a life of holiness and godliness before your God. They, they demonstrated and did this uh, not just through their, their verbal teaching and proclamation, but through their lifestyles. Uh, and, and later, as we get into chapter 2, you'll see Peter highlight this to where they threw off any kind of call to live a life of godliness and holiness before our God. They said it doesn't matter how you live. Once you've been accepted by God, you do not need to put forth any effort or any diligence to live a life that is glorifying to God. How does Peter, how is Peter going to respond to this kind of teaching? 
how should we respond? Remember, Jesus has put Peter in this place, along with the other apostles, to authoritatively communicate to us the good news of the gospel, not just how we are made right with God, but how we are to live right with God. So that's what we want to look at this morning. Does it, does it matter how you live out the Christian life? So if you would, look with me. We're in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your pews, this is on page 1018. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11 this morning. So if you would, please follow along with me uh, as we hear from, from God's Word. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, we need you. It is so, so easy uh, for us uh, to be led astray uh, and to distort the good news of the gospel. Uh, we pray and ask this morning that you would bring clarity, uh, that we would understand and see rightly uh, who you have saved and called us to be in Jesus. Uh, would we hope and rest and depend upon him? Holy Spirit, would you, would you change us? Use your word, cut deep into our hearts, that we might be healed and corrected with the gospel. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Does it matter? Notice Peter's answer. Yes. It does matter how you live out the Christian life. Look at what he says in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort. Make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Peter piles on these, these qualities, these attributes, uh, these, these excellent uh, aspects of one's uh, character and life, and saying Christians, people who are hoping and resting and trusting in Jesus, you must. You must make every effort to see that these qualities are lived out in your life. That, they're, they're, that they abound. That they are increasing. Why? Why would Peter say that this is necessary? Why does he say that we need to make every effort 
to live out a life like this. Well, notice he tells us. Verse 5, notice what it, how it begins. For this very reason. What reason, Peter? What is the reason why we should live with all of this effort that you're calling us to? Remember what he told us at the very beginning. In verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. All the power, the provision that is needed to live out this life has been given to you by your great God and King. He has all the power to equip and provide for his people to live out a life like this. And it is already yours. Who, what he has called you to and who he has called you to be is one who lives out a life that is in conformity to his own glory and excellence. That, that term excellence there is the same term that's used uh, as described as virtue there in verse 5. Supplement your faith with virtue or excellence. What Peter is saying is because of the provision of your God, because of who he is and how he has saved you, to be more like him as he's restoring you to his image. Remember, that's also what Peter told us back up in verse 4. He has granted to us his very precious and great, his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Peter isn't saying, we talked about this before, that you become divine. He is saying you become restored to the way that God created you, made in his image. That you are being set free and remade by God to live out a life that reflects the excellencies of Jesus who has saved you. Peter is saying the reason why you should make every effort is because of the greatness of the provision and blessing that has already been given to you in Jesus. I want you to think, uh, again, we'll keep going on the, the whole college thought. I want you to think about two freshmen who are entering into uh, to college. Uh, one, uh, one freshman uh, has no uh, relationship with their, their parents. Their parents have, uh, have uh, abandoned them. They don't really care about what's going on in their life. Uh, they've always communicated to them that they're never going to amount to anything. Uh, and so uh, through, uh, through uh, great hard work to prove their parents wrong and everybody else wrong, they, uh, they put all their effort into doing well in high school, and now they're, they have the prospects of going to college, but they can't afford it. it. It costs too much. So they delay going to college so that they can work, so that they can have some money to be able to go into their first semester. They work and labor. They finally go to, to school. And not only are they going to school, but they're also having to work full time because college is expensive. And then, then they're, having to, they're not able to do uh, the, a lot of the extracurricular activities at college and do the other stuff everybody else is doing because they recognize and understand the cost that is associated and how much work they must do to provide for them to be in, in school. The other freshman I want you to think about is someone who's uh, whose parents have always been a part of their, their life, um, who's always loved and cared for and provided for them. All the way through school, they gave them everything they needed. They never lacked a pencil or an eraser or a sheet of notebook paper. 
They never neglected one when they came home who would help them with their homework and read for them, who would get them the, 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 the supplemental instruction that they needed or tutoring, who loved and gave them everything that they needed to succeed in school and the love and care for their hearts to be built up. And as this person is going to college, their parents say, I, I'm going to give you everything you need to do well in college as well. We're going to pay completely for school. We want you to focus so much on your education that we don't even want you to work. We're going to pay for every meal, every snack, and, and we want you to take a break sometimes. And so we're going to pay for the opportunities for you to go hang out with your friends on the weekends. Of those two students, who should be the one that puts forth the most effort to doing well in school? From my experience in college, the ones who outwardly demonstrated the most effort was the first person, the person who was paying their way through school, the person who came to school much later. And I knew many people who presumed upon the grace of their parents and who took advantage of that and squandered away that opportunity. Peter says, do you not realize your heavenly father has given you so much more than tuition to go to college. College costs what? In North Carolina, it averages around twenty to 30000 a year for somebody to go for tuition and room and board and everything that's involved if you go to a state school. You couldn't afford that as a high school senior, yet your parents would provide for that. Do you know what it costs for you to be accepted and brought into the family of your God? Look at what Peter told us back up in verse 1. To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What has God provided for us? Everything that we need, everything that we couldn't provide has been given to us in and through Jesus. His power, His excellence, His goodness. This is the good news of the gospel. Peter isn't saying, put all this effort forward to live like you are one of God's people. And maybe, just maybe, you'll perform enough that he'll love you and he'll accept you and he'll bring you in. No, that is completely contrary to the gospel. The good news that Peter is saying here is realize you have been loved and accepted by your God because of what Jesus has done. You have been brought into his family by his grace and his mercy, and he has given you abundantly everything that you need, not just for your salvation, but for you to live out the Christian life. So in light of that grace, in light of that provision, in light of that great blessing that has been extended to you, respond in gratitude. Respond in thanksgiving. Respond by giving all of your effort to live a life that reflects the fact that your God has extended you this grace and this mercy in Jesus. Maybe you're here this morning, you're, uh, you're trying to understand what, what it looks like to follow Christ. Uh, and you've been under the impression that what it means to be a Christian, what it means to follow Jesus, is that you've got to work and hard and do these things and if you do what God says and don't do what he doesn't, what he tells you not to do, then uh, if you're good enough in the end, he'll accept you and love you and you'll be brought into his family. Notice, that isn't the Christian life at all. That is false teaching and an error. Peter says you are accepted and loved by the grace of God. 
We cling and hope in Jesus, restored to him by his grace, and we live out the Christian life by his grace and mercy. If you're a believer here this morning, you're caught under this trap of performance, and you think that your God is disappointed in you, and that he no longer loves you, and you've got to make up for all of your mistakes, Peter says no. Don't you realize you've been loved and accepted in your God? He has given you everything in his Son, and he's given you everything now. Look and know and realize who your God is, the grace that has been given to you. Be grateful and thankful and put yourself towards, with great effort, living the Christian life, not to earn anything, but out of gratitude. This is the gospel. This is the Christian life. You're saved by grace through faith, and you live out the life of the Christian by grace through faith. But Peter goes on. Uh, not a, we're not just to, to put effort into living out a, a godly life that reflects the character of the God who has called us because of this great provision and blessing that's been extended to us. But notice, also Peter tells us that we should make all this effort because we'll be effective and fruitful. Look at what he says in verse 8. For if these qualities, these qualities that he just uh, explained and gave us that reflect the goodness and character of our God. If these qualities are yours and increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, P- Peter's saying, uh, do you want to be fruitful? Do you want to be effective in the Christian life? Then put yourself to the effort great effort and diligence of pursuing and seeing this type of life demonstrated and shown in, your, uh, in the way that you, you live. Uh, but, but notice what he, what he says, where that fruitfulness comes from, where that effectiveness comes from, is not through your, your effort and your work of what you're, you're, you're doing. Notice what he says, that you will not be ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what we, we talked about before, that this, as Peter is talking about knowledge here, he's, he's not talking about just knowing facts about Jesus. He's talking about a personal knowledge and intimate relationship with Christ. Peter is saying, do you want to know Jesus more deeply? Do you want to experience growth and depth in the relationship, your relationship with Christ? Then make an effort to see your life reflect Him. Well, well, how do I do that? Well, it's by pursuing Christ. It's by fleeing and clinging and hoping in Jesus. You see, the more you know Jesus, the more you're going to want to live like Jesus. The more you recognize your need for Christ the more that you're going to call out and pursue and rest and depend and cling on Him. The more you realize you can't do it in your own strength, the more you realize and you recognize the sufficiency and the goodness of Christ and how He did everything that we couldn't. Notice that that's what Peter's telling us. Don't forget who Jesus is. Don't forget what He's done for you. Don't forget what your relationship with Him, what He has secured for you, Look in verse 9. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. 
you not realize, Peter is saying, that Jesus has forgiven you. He's cleansed you from this, this former life of living out of your sinful passions, your corrupt desires. You've been set free to live a life in relationship with Him. Look and hope in Him. Don't forget what He's done for you. Uh, m- many times, there's, uh, uh, as we, we look in, in, in our lives, we may recognize and see uh, that we're hanging on to old sin. Sin that we have been forgiven and cleansed of, according to Jesus, we still want to, to grab a hold of and look to that sin as the way to find life and deliverance. Uh, some of us may still be living in shame. Shame and guilt of former sins. And so uh, we're, uh, we doubt the, the closeness of the relationship that we have with our God. We may be afraid to approach Jesus in that knowledge and in that relationship because we're afraid of his disappointment over us or that we're going to be rejected where if he's just going to look at us and say, uh, you're such a disappointment. Why don't you go and get things together and then come back? Peter says, no. Fruitfulness and effectiveness comes only and it flows only out of a relationship with Christ, clinging and hoping and depending upon him. Are you recognizing areas in your life where you're lacking? Are you seeing areas in your life where your relationship with Christ doesn't seem to be as effective and as fruitful. Your intimacy with him, your closeness to him, he seems distant. He seems far away. Your life is heading down a path more and more to where you are disregarding God's care for you and you're pursuing things in the world. Are you concerned? Do you care? We live on Church Street. And up and down Church Street, there's crepe myrtles that are planted. We have one in front of our house uh, that just doesn't look like the rest of the crepe myrtles on the street. All the rest of them are very productive, very fruitful in their uh, supply of leaves and beautiful pink uh, flowers. For whatever reason, the tree in front of our house, its leaves come out a lot later than all the other ones on the street in the spring. Uh, its flowers aren't as pink. Uh, they turn brown quicker, and the leaves fall off way before any of the other leaves fall off in the, uh, in the fall. Uh, it's probably a sign that there's something wrong with the tree. But you know what? I really don't care. I don't like that tree. I would rather put another tree in its place. And so the fact that it's giving signs of unfruitfulness and ineffectiveness in doing what trees are supposed to do, I don't really care. On the other hand, uh, well, I planted some grass in our yard a few years ago. And after having some work done on our house last year, it's really struggling. It's struggling to grow in certain patches in the backyard. But I really care about that. I'm concerned about that. Uh, and so I, I'm noticing something's wrong with this grass. I need to find out what I need to do to make sure that it doesn't have any sort of disease and it gets what it needs. And so I try to find out from the cooperative extension, what does this grass need to grow and to flourish and to thrive? So I get the, the pest control stuff, and I get the, the, uh, the weed killer things, and I get the fertilizer that it needs because I want it to be fruitful, and I want it to grow and thrive and flourish. Notice what Peter is saying here. Ineffective, 
unfruitful lives for believers is a sign something's wrong. This is not how God intends it to be. You have been saved and called to his own glory and excellence. The resurrected Jesus, his power is at work in your life. If you see these signs, don't take the response to it like I did to the crepe myrtle. Care about it. Be concerned about it. And you know what you should do? Flee to Jesus. Acknowledge that to him in the knowledge that Jesus is the one who forgives sins. In the knowledge that Jesus is the one who has the strength and the power to give you all that you need. Run to him. Run to him and say, Jesus, begin to work in my life. Jesus, please bring me more fruit and effectiveness that I might know more deeply how much you love me. That I might live a life that glorifies and pleases you. You see, you may be tempted in your feelings of ineffectiveness and unfruitfulness and shame and guilt to withdraw from Christ. That is what the evil one would want you to believe. That you shouldn't be in here. How could a sinner like you, what you did this past week, don't you realize how unfruitful your life has been and how far you've been from Christ this past week? You're the last one who should be in here. You're thinking about reading God's word tomorrow morning? You're thinking about praying to him? He's going to be so disappointed in you. Stay away. Fix it yourself first. Then come to him. No. No, Peter says. Flee to Christ if you want to be effective. If you want to be fruitful. You're noticing struggles in your life. Run to Jesus. That's the invitation. That is the call. In the knowledge of Christ, in a relationship with him, fruitfulness and effectiveness flows out of that. It's God's grace and his mercy to us. So, we've seen it's because of the great provision and blessing we've been given. It's because we, have, we would desire to be effective and fruitful. But lastly, Peter says we should put effort in the Christian life because in doing that, our assurance will grow. Look at what he says in verse 10. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Peter says, as you put effort towards living a godly life, as you continue to flee and hope and rest and trust in Jesus, what it does is it gives you more assurance. Your assurance of the sanctifying work of the salvation and the calling of God's redeeming and choosing you as his own becomes more sure in your heart and in your life and in your experience. Notice, though, what Peter says, that these, your, your effort towards pursuing a godly and holy life is a means to seeing the fruit, uh, uh, evidence of salvation in your life. It's not the ground. The ground of your assurance is not what you've done. It's what Jesus has done for you. The sufficient Christ who suffers and dies and who redeems sinners. Notice that sufficiency that Peter puts for us here. In this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the sufficient one. 
He can save sinners eternally. Maybe you've seen ads on TV for these uh, Ancestry.com or uh, 23andMe, people who want to find out the, you know, their, their family heritage. Um, uh, there's different ways you can do it. Sometimes you just look at family characteristics. You're like, oh, well, I have my mom's eyes and I have my dad's mouth. And, you know, he kind of walks like this down the street. And you, you know what? I noticed me and my brother, both of us walk down the street like that. But sometimes those, those outward evidences, we want to look for something in, in a little more detail. And so you may get one of these DNA tests. And the, these markers point to other things that show, oh, you know what? I have a, a line up here, 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 and here, and we match in all of these places. And that's evidence that I am, in fact, the son of my dad and the son of my mom. But you know what? Those characteristics that you see, your walk or your eyes or your mouth or even those DNA markers, that is not what makes you their son. That's just evidence of the fact that you are. What makes you their son or their daughter is something that you never did, something that they did uh, before you were even in existence. You know what Peter's saying here? This confirming, this calling and election, you are not making yourself chosen. You are not saving yourself by doing this. You are just seeing evidence of the fact of knowing and realizing the work that Jesus has done on your behalf already and that he's doing in your life now. You don't provide your own way into the kingdom of God. That's what Peter says here. In this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom. How do you get there? By living this good and righteous life? No. Who's the one doing the provision here? It's Jesus. Jesus is the one who provides. Peter's already told us that. He's given you his good and gracious promises. He's the one who's given you his divine power and his excellence that he is communicating and expanding to you. He is the one who is on your behalf granted to you his righteousness through his work on the cross. Do you realize all that Christ has done for you? Uh, you? You see, as we're looking for this evidence in our life, as we're looking for assurance, some of you right now are, beat yourself up all the time. You always have questions, wondering, has Jesus saved me? Your conscience is tender. Other people have pointed to you and shown you that they see evidence in your life of Jesus working. Where I would point you this morning is to Jesus. Run to him. Run to the sufficient one that you might see and know that he has the power to redeem and save you. There are others of you here who, though there is no evidence in your life, or very little, you've been running for, from Christ for a while. You know what the solution to that is? To confirm that calling and election? The same response. Run to Christ. Run to Jesus. Call out to the sufficient one to continue his work in your life. You see, all of this provision that God has given us, may that be what motivates us to pursue a life of godliness and holiness. Uh, in doing that, may we be more effective and more fruitful in knowing Christ and in living for Christ. And may that give us more assurance, not just that Jesus is sufficient to save, but that he is at work in your life 
and mine for his glory. That's what he's elected you for. That's what he's called you for. That's what he saved you for. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that our hope is only in you. Uh, We pray that you would uh, continue uh, to confirm to us uh, the goodness of your work, uh, all that you have done on our behalf. Uh, May we turn from our sin more and more. May we flee and cling and hope only in Christ. In his name we pray.